Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello, and welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. My name is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. Hi. You know, in each of our shows, we explore, we describe, we celebrate the principles and practices of workplace visuality, the methods of the technologies of the visual workplace, and how they help us embed our intelligence through visual devices into the living landscape of work. We talk about the stories that have accumulated around this form, which has been active for well over 30 years. I've been doing it from the beginning, and I share with you what I learn in the show. We thank you very, very much for your emails. Recently, you have written us, thank you, thank you, about uh, my reading of my book, Work That Makes Sense. The book provides the framework, 12 chapters, about workplace visuality for operators, how to implement it, why to implement it, what are the tools, what are the triumphs, what are the pitfalls. This is a form of you might say elevated or expanded 5S. 5S on steroids is what I sometimes call it. It gives the operator a chance to make a contribution that really comes out of the mastery of this methodology and a new form of thinking. And that's what we're walking through now. Today we're going to complete our chapter on the building blocks We've been on this chapter for three shows, I believe. This might be our fourth. Because it is the chapter that outlines the elements of the thinking process, these building blocks of a system of thinking that allows the operator to be independent, to, in parallel to the work that he or she does for the company's products and services, this is the improvement aspect of the operator's contribution, and it's very compelling. It has an impact directly on the bottom line. We always, I will say always, see a 15% increase in productivity, significant improvements in quality, and a tremendous cultural alignment. So we're going to continue this today, and I want to invite you to find us on our website, visualworkplace.com. Be in touch with us through our website, if you wish, contact at visualworkplace.com or through our website, I'm sorry, through our email, radio at visualworkplace.com. So you can reach us, send us your comments, send us your requests, send us your photographs, send us your questions. We love to read them. Thank you very, very much. So let's continue. We've gone through six of the building blocks, and you'll remember what they are. Building block one is eye-driven. Building block two is your standards. Building block three 
are the six core questions, where, what, when, who, how many, and how, making them visual. Building block four is information deficits. This is the real enemy of all workplaces, and it certainly is the reason why the visual workplace is so increasingly important. And the footprint of the enemy of information deficits is our building block five, which is motion, motion moving without working. And our sixth building block, which we concluded the last show discussing, is work. If motion is moving without working, then what is work? Work is moving and adding value. And I told you about my preferences of using motion and work together rather than value-adding versus non-value-adding. It's just a really important cultural point. We want people to be happy about investigating what is causing the struggle in their workplace. And if it sounds like it's non-value-adding activity and I'm doing it, it sounds like I'm non-value-adding. And we want to just shift that whole perspective away from that it's me who's the problem as compared to that it is me who is the scientist of the problem. We often say that our goal is to create scientists of motion. Individuals, operators who study their own behavior and are able to differentiate between what is work and what is non-work. What is the nature of the struggle? So this contemplation is very, very much a part of this system of thinking and doing and changing and improving. This form has been in existence since about 1987-88. It was originally a part of 5S. As I told you many times, I failed miserably at 5S. I would get the first cycle done. It would be glorious, but it would never have a life of its own. If I wasn't there watching and attending it, and I understood that there was something wrong with the design of the process itself, of why why operators did not get on board with something that management was so excited about and it was easy to it was easy to discover that i've shared several shows on that i talked to you about the japanese model and i talked to you about the need to make a shift in the West because we simply don't have the array of supports that so many of the Japanese companies have, of which 5S is an element, but only one. It doesn't do the work of everything else, of helping people develop, helping people think, helping people contribute to improvement in ways that can be breakthrough or incremental, Kaizen. Okay? So let's continue with our discussion with the seventh building block. And the seventh building block is called the value field. And then the eighth building block, in case you're keeping track of it, is motion metrics. Building block seven is the value field. And it is a formulation that I created because the visual workplace is a physical workplace. The visual workplace exists through physical devices, and it is about the intelligence, our intelligence, as we exert that intelligence in the physical world. So I'll begin. When and where do you add value? And remember, the you throughout this book is the operator. This book is addressed to the operator, to the value-add associate, whether in a hospital, an office, or a factory. 
when and where do you add value? The answer is when and only when you are in your value field. Only then can you add value. Only then can you work. It is as simple as that. Your value field is a specific location. It is where work happens. Look at the running track at Tufts University in Boston, and there's a photograph of it. That track is a runner's primary value field. No matter how much time a runner may spend working out in the gym, finding the right shoe, eating the healthiest foods, only when he or she runs on that track are they doing the work of their work. Are they in their primary value field? Only then is he Is she about the business for which they have trained year after year? And when you look at the visual details built into that track surface, you will see the information on which Olympic careers begin and end. Marks for the hurdle, marks for the lane, move a hurdle up or down an inch, and some Olympic hopeful may break her ankle and say goodbye to the games. It's the same way for you. Since you can only add value when you are in your value field, anytime you are not, you must be in motion and can only do your primary work. You can only do your primary work when you're in your primary value field. Noticing your motion by whether or not you're in your value field, is a powerful way to spot motion at all. Track your motion based on your value field. Here's the logic again. Since motion is the opposite of work, and since you can only do your work when you're in your value field, then you know that if you are not physically in your value field, you are in motion and you cannot be working. Therefore, any time you are not in your value field, you are automatically in motion. And remember, even though you're not in your value field during a break or the like, you're not in motion then. So we're talking about when it's time to work. This is my commentary. When it's time to work, you're in your value field. That's where you can get your work done. There's a little bit of a tricky point, and I'll go on. Primary versus secondary value fields. Here's the tricky part. We almost always have more than one value field in any given department. Work can take place in many locations. The good news is that we usually have only one main value field where we actually do the value-adding activity called work. We call that our primary value field. Other key areas within your department support that work, and they are called your secondary or supporting value fields. At first, you may find it challenging to separate the two, your primary versus your secondary value field. This may be because you have never thought about your work like this before. For example, if you are a machinist, you will quickly understand that your machine is your primary value field. That's where the material you load is converted into something of greater value for your customer. And the direct changeover tools, and weighting materials are all in support of that. But what if you run six machines, which is primary? 
In this case, all six may be equal, just for different models or sequential operations. If you are a medical technician, an x-ray, then clearly the x-ray machine is the point from which you measure all motion. That is your primary value field. But if you're a nurse, your primary value field may be less clear. Is it the patient, room by room, or the main nursing station where you undertake so many valuable services on behalf of the patient? It is the same issue for managers and supervisors. Is your main value field your desk, or is it the areas you walk through as you assess, coach, monitor, and expedite? The important thing is, right now, for you to raise the question and clear up your own thinking by discussing it with others and listening to their thinking. With enough time and input, the distinction will become clear. Be patient with yourselves and others. Raise the question and the answer will arrive. Think. Value feel is the seventh building block of visual thinking. And I want to say a few additional words. When your operator is able to determine where exactly they do work, you have the ability to then measure your motion every time, any time you leave that value field. Let's talk about you as though you're the operator. Motion is the lever by which we dig in and identify when we are moving without working, when we are not in our value field, when we are doing something else other than our work. You'll remember last time I said, motion is anything you have to do in order to do your work, but it is not your work. And I want to say to the trainer in you now, the managers who are speaking What is important is for people to understand this and for you to understand it so you can guide them. If you indeed have a training function, then your trainers really need to become expert at identifying value field. It's nothing vague. It's nothing out of reach. But it is a clean and clear definition. And so much depends on that clarity. So take the time to understand value field and you'll find yourself with another powerful tool for helping your operators understand motion and that motion will lead them to the missing information that is causing them to struggle in their work. Remember, visuality, whether you're a supervisor doing your work, a CEO doing your work, an operator doing your work, visuality is a needed strategy because of information that is missing from the workplace. It is because people have too many questions. People even have one question, even one question, that could be answered by the workplace itself instead of going to someone and asking that question in order to get the answer, in order to take that information, and then proceed at your work. When we say the workplace speaks in visuality, if I can say this to you, I mean that quite literally, that the workplace is continually giving us not only information, but also feedback on our performance. So we have a true partner 
in the workplace, a true partner. It is the things of the workplace. It is the floor, the benches, the whip itself, the work in process itself, the machine, the carts. And we have this connection then with our work and the things of our work because we have given them a voice to speak. We have given them a language that is our own with which to communicate with us. And so, in fact, we are designing our environment in order to support our, support our work. Instead of fighting our environment or looking at the work environment, the production floor, if you're in a factory, the offices, if you work in an agency or a bureau, and you see there's nothing that comes out to help you with your work. It's all hidden. It's all secretive. It's all below the surface, and you spend most of your day trying to figure it out. Or if you're not engaged in figuring it out, then you pull in the sidewalks and you lead a very narrow work life because there's only so much that you can see, that you can handle, that you can feel some sense of control over. So it's this idea of value field, this building block, called value field is an anchor point that is indispensable. It is, it is as important as I driven, the six core questions, motion, work. It's as important. Information deficits, these are all of equal importance. I told you the story a number of shows ago about Paula, who Paulette, I should say, Paulette, who worked at Alpha Industries in a semiconductor department, electron microscopes, 16 women. They were all grandmas. They spoke many languages, Italian and Vietnamese and two dialects of Chinese and Irish (laughs) and South Boston. (laughs) Many, many languages. French, Paulette was from France. And they did extraordinarily perfect work. They really, really were good at what they were doing. And when I worked with them, we began, I was invited in specifically to work with that cell by Kenny Bushmick, who was an engineer supervisor who just became uh, very, very engrossed in lean and wanted to figure out how to do that with grandmas, with people who were not thinking about streamlining their work. They only wanted to do good work. So he went through an educational process, and he wanted them to learn about visuality and connect to the idea of flow without struggle. We began our work, and I asked, where is your value field? Where do you add value? We talked a little bit about that, and they said, in our department, and everybody agreed. And so I said, okay, let's experiment. Let's see if we can really um, make that work in our favor, make the value field become our partner. Please keep track anytime you leave your value field. Anytime you have to leave, since you've named it your department, anytime you have to leave your department, keep track of it and name why you left the, the department. How many times did you leave and each time why did you leave? And keep track of that. I'll be back in a couple of weeks, and let's see what you come up with. That's your homework. Here's a memo pad. Keep track and notice. 
And there's one more thing I'd like you to do. If there's an opportunity for you to bring the reason why you left your department back into your department so you don't have to leave, that would be good too. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Let's see how far you go. I came back in a couple of weeks, and indeed, they had brought back, they had named six reasons why they left the department to get apart, to verify a work order, to wash off some parts in a vented sink, to get this, to get that, to get this, to get that. And they brought all the reasons back, all six of them. The only one they weren't able to bring back into the department to make it resident in the department was the vented sink. And so I asked. They had brought all this back in, and I said, okay, where is your value field? How are we doing? Is your value field working now on your on your behalf? Are you doing are you feeling the flow? Less struggle? Everybody nodded. Oh, yeah, this is so much better. Oh, very, very good. So then our work is done. Let's get visual. Now that we have brought these elements in, let's get visual. And someone raised her hand. Her name was Bernice. And Bernice said, you know, I don't know. I, I, I sometimes, I think that maybe, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Can I say this? Of course, Bernice would tell us, tell us. She said, maybe my, maybe my value field isn't my department. Maybe, maybe it's my bench. Maybe it's my bench because that's really where I do the work. I mean, I don't work in these aisles, really. When I'm sitting down with my electron microscope, that's when I'm in, in that's when I'm really working. And Everybody began to nod their heads, and of course, I said, bingo, let's try that. Let's run that experiment. Let's see what it would be like for you to, instead of track when you leave the department, to track when you leave your bench and see what happens. And try to bring, if you find that you do leave your bench for reasons you can identify, try to bring those reasons back to your bench. And then we talked a little bit about visuality so that they could move on to make things visual as well. And I came back in two or three weeks, and they showed me what they showed me, which was an incredible array of visuality that surrounded their electron microscope and the certainty that every single one of those women had that they did not need to leave their value field unless they wanted to unless it was elective, that they had everything they needed. They had their tweezers and their small items and their replacement bulbs and the whip. If you work in semiconductors with an electron microscope, you've got a very, very small footprint for your whip. You can get like 72,000 semiconductors. This was at that time in a little plastic bag. It was a very, very small footprint. And, and they said, yeah. Yeah, this is really great. We're really flowing. We work when we, we work all the time, and we don't have to get up, and we don't have to wander around, and we don't have to look for things. We really, really like it. Okay, well, let's find out if that's true. Let's just 
take a, uh, a video and uh, see if you leave your value field. We'll just let the video run. We'll let it run for a couple of hours. All we need is a volunteer. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll set it up. And that's what we did. We set up a video camera, and Paulette volunteered. Paulette was this very elegant French woman born in France with, who was beautifully groomed all the time. She was like a Hollywood star. She would come in completely groomed, put on her smock, and then work on her semiconductors. And that's what we did. We trained the camera on Paulette the next day, and all she did was work. We let it run for two or three hours, and then we went upstairs to a darkened room, and we watched. And we watched, and something happened in that room because of what we saw. And I want to surface that moment of that something that happened because it is completely relevant to this discussion of building block seven, the value field. What happened is that we were simply watching Paulette do her work. She was working, she was working, she was peering down her electron microscope, she was working, she was reaching for her tweezers, she was reaching for her Q-tip, she was reaching for this, that, and the other thing. She had her slides nearby. Everything was flowing beautifully. And then at one moment, Paulette did something, and the entire room, in this darkened room, the 17, the 18 of us, went like that. We sucked air. We went, we saw something that shocked us, like that. (laughs) What did we see? What we saw was Paulette was working at her bench, and she was reaching and taking whatever she needed. And then at one point, she reached for something, and you could see her hand searching for it, but she was still gazing down in her microscope. And then she reached a little further, thinking you could tell, oh, maybe it's here. And she reached a little further, And then she looked up, and then she looked up. And it was at that point when she looked up that we all went, (gasps) it was like a bolt of lightning. We could see it. Suddenly, everything changed. Suddenly, do you see what happened? Suddenly, the department certainly was not the value field, but suddenly the bench wasn't the value field either. We saw her working and then stop working when that item was out of reach and she lost contact with her electron microscope. Suddenly, everyone in the room, and the moment was exact, everyone in the room realized that her true value field was that postage stamp-sized platform at the bottom of her electron microscope And in reaching and looking up, she lost contact with it. She lost contact with her value field. When I say to you, I'm talking to trainers and coaches now, to talk to people about their value field and let them contemplate what that is, let them consider what that is, let them name that that value field 
and see if it holds up. What you want people to do is to watch the balance point between moving and struggling and moving and working. Moving and struggling is motion. Moving and working is conversion, is is work. And to let the value field be defined by the work. And you're carving away all of those extra definitions of what a value field is. And that's what happened here. Everyone in the room realized that the definition had moved and was now the contact with the microscope. A tremendous, a revolution in understanding. You may have teaching moments like this. When we get to smart placement, we're very precise about value field and we use it as an organizer when we do our mapping in re-identifying the flow. Value field is the seventh building block of visual thinking and it is very rich. Remember, work that makes sense is a system of thinking first and then a system of application. You're going to get tremendous financial and cultural benefit out of it, but this is not cookie-cutter training. This is training to train the mind, to train the habits of mind, and to make it very interesting to notice your own behavior, and then you own it. Let's move on to the last building block, building block eight, motion metrics. The final building block is motion metrics, the term metric means a standard unit of measurement. So we're talking about motion measures. I like the term motion metric, so it's adopted in this book. A motion metric is a mechanism or a yardstick that we use to track or measure motion to find out how much motion there is. You can track your motion a number of ways, including the one we already discussed, which is tracking the number of questions you ask and the number of questions you are asked. Remember the memo pad we talked about? There are several more. Here are some common ones. You certainly can use your own eyes and notice when you leave your value field, for example. But you can make that more precise. You can use a stopwatch. And when you leave your value field, click your stopwatch on. And when you return to your primary value field, Click it off. Same thing with the pedometer. Have your pedometer there sitting by, beside you on your, on your bench, on your desk. And when you leave your bench or desk, clip on your pedometer and see how much mileage you rack up. And when you get back, just set it down. You can also use something called a frequency check sheet, which is simply just a card with your value field named. And, for example, the days of the week, and then you just keep track of the number of times you leave your value field, much as the folks at Alpha Industries did when they left their department, and the reasons why. That's another very easy and insightful way of understanding your motion. And that's what a motion metric is for, to understand the nature of your motion and also the detail. When you track your own motion, you get rock-solid evidence of the level of struggle in your daily work. Here's some more examples. Janet, an assembler in electrical cables, watched her pedometer, racked up 
rack up 5.5 miles in walking in a week, and she never left her department. She had the evidence. Her colleague, Linda, who was confined to a wheelchair, used a frequency check sheet that showed that she left her value field 42 times in three days, all for work-related reasons. Again, this isn't going to the cafeteria or the ladies' room or making a phone call or anything like that. She said since she hadn't realized that she was in motion, she never before thought of these side, side trips as a problem, but always felt pressure of not having enough time to get her work done. And Deanna, the supervisor in that same area, kept track of the questions that she asked and was asked per shift. By the third day, she had already piled up 72 questions she had answered and 123 she had asked. She now knew for sure that the motion called questions was eating up her time. Down the aisle in the same company, this is Harris Corp in Quincy, Illinois, Buzz, who was a lead operator in final test with 27 years on the job, saw his stopwatch record two hours and 35 minutes that he spent outside his area. He considered his value field his area, and that was for one shift. No wonder I can't get my work done, he flashed. Motion metrics give us a concrete way to see for ourselves why we cannot get a full day of work done. Nobody, commentary, okay, nobody wants to turn us into a robot, but we do want to become aware. We don't want people chained to their value field now that we've named it. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to see, to gain insight and to look for ways of having the option of doing work when we want to work instead of being dragged around by the information deficits, the motion that is triggered in our work area. So here's what I'd like you to do. Pick a motion metric and track your motion for two or three days or for one week, but no more than a week. At the end of that time, study what happened and why, and then look for ways to reduce your motion through visual devices. A few pointers. Track your own motion and no no one else's. You don't have to, another point, you don't have to share what you discovered with anyone unless you decide to. Your motion for the time being is strictly your own business. Third bullet point, the important thing is for you to recognize you are in motion at least part of the time you are on the job. Notice that and notice why. Motion metrics are the eighth building block of visual thinking. And I want to emphasize this is a building block of thinking. This is so people can get through the fog of saying, oh, what am I doing wrong? How do I know I'm doing it wrong? And how wrong am I? Motion is tied to our own hands, our own feet, and our own mouth, as it were, when we open it up to ask a question or answer it. There's no filter. It is simply behavior. It is our body. 
walking away from our value field. We're in motion. It is our body returning. It is our feet wandering, our mind wandering, our self stopped because we don't have the information to continue. This is normally just seen as part of everyday work, but we want to make the differentiation between for ourselves, between work and non-work. And what does that get us? That gets us a sense of strength, of clarity, of being responsible for ourselves. This takes the mystery away. When the KPIs are posted on the board and we are expected to look at those key performance indicators and be worried about them because they hold bad news or be happy about them because they show good news. But to what extent do we own that? To what extent can we see ourselves in those numbers, either in the failures, the bad KPIs, or in the triumphs, the victories? Can we really see us? Because if we can see us in that, then we own both parts of it. And if we're given the tools to make it better, then we make it better. We at least have an accurate understanding about what those KPIs are made up of. And I say to you, set aside the KPIs. The power of motion metrics is the ownership level that it is myself whom I am measuring. And I'm measuring in ways that are simple and they are identical to the person next to me. I'm measuring the number of questions I ask. (gasps) That gives me a whole portal, a doorway, an understanding of why I can't get my work done. Ownership has always been a challenge in improvement. To really own the behavior that is the cause or the contributing cause to the problem. A lot of problems are out of the control of operators. They're simply out of scope. They belong to someone else. They belong to my boss. I just have to suffer them. But other problems are strictly my own. They're my own because, for one thing, I cannot, I do not differentiate between motion and work. I'm just busy all the time. What a wonderful opportunity to make that distinction and to see clearly the difference between busyness and work itself without shame and without blame. So what we want to do with the motion metric is to take this step towards giving people the tools to become scientists of their own work. When you go to a plant When you go into an office where people are using motion as a lever, they will talk about that and they will show you its sources and its solutions. The solutions, for the greatest part, are visual. But as you'll find out when we get to Chapter 4, the preparation for getting visual will be a re-engineering of the flow that is completely owned by operators. What we want to do in our improvement methodologies is, of course, get results. But we also want to help people find their strength. 
and use their strength so that they can learn about themselves and they can build this confidence about participating in the improvement process. Not as a, only as a Kaizen Blitz or visual blitz, but as an ongoing process, as a part of the thinking me, as, the, as a part of the person who is thinking and engaged in my world and not afraid to look and to look closely. For the most part, I have to say, I'm, I'm fairly con- uh, disappointed, in the West at least, Western co- uh, countries, with the level of engagement, of intellectual engagement, of intellectual challenge that we offer our operators. We may have some shiny lights. We may have a kind of uh, cultural elite of operators who are comfortable in using more than what is what the job description requires, using parts of themselves that they either have a natural gift for or have been developed elsewhere in their own lives. But what would it be like to level the playing field and give your operators and value-add associates a set of common tools that would allow them to, if you will, equally progress and begin to understand the work that they're doing and the work environment that they're doing it in. That's what visual thinking is about. It is about developing strength of the gifts that we all have. They are common gifts. Gifts. They're not exceptional. What is exceptional is the company that is committed to that kind of growth. And that's what work that makes sense is about. Let's look at the final couple of pages of this chapter two. It's called, this part is called putting it all together. So this concludes our detailed discussion of the eight building blocks of visual thinking and how they work together to help us eliminate motion and the information deficits that cause it. To sum it up, we'll look at the cycle of visual thinking. Please keep this in mind as you move forward. I'm going to go through five steps. Step one, notice your motion. Look, I just left my value field. That means I'm not working anymore. I must be in motion if I'm not working. I left my value field. Step two, name the information deficit. If I'm in motion, it must have been triggered by an information deficit, a missing answer, if you will, a question. The unanswered question. What is the unanswered question? A missing answer. What was it? Step three, ask that unanswered question. An unanswered core question. Which of the six core questions is linked to that information deficit? Which question do I need answered? Where, what, who, when, how many, or how? Which one? Or once? Number four, decide where to physically install the answer to that unanswered question through a visual device, a device that captures that information exactly. Where should you locate the device? 
how close can you get it to the actual point of use? So as an aside, the visual workplace is a physical workplace, and that means when you convert a question, an unanswered core question into an answer, you need to install that answer somewhere in the physical work environment. Where? Decide where that is. And then move on to step five. Step five is translate that answer into a visual device. Turn that answer into a visual solution so you never have to ask or answer that question again because the answer will be firmly installed as close to my true value field as possible, as close to the point of use. This is, a, this is a cycle that I call simply the cycle of visual thinking. It's very handy for operators to engage in that. Please notice, we don't just brainstorm in order to find a visual device. I have seen this repeatedly, and I have to say, I often, when I see it, just have to walk away because I find it so irritating to bring value-add associates into a room and say, we've got, we've got this kind of a problem, let's figure out an answer. And what they mean is, let's not investigate the problem, let's not make the problem granular so that we really understand the multiplicity of causes that create the problem, that are the problem. Let's just jump to a solution. You've heard this before from many people other than myself, and you've experienced it as well, these brainstorming questions where, in a way, value-add associates are just supposed to kind of show off and, and show how really cool they are. And I find it marginalizes the true strength of human beings and obviously of operators as well because they aren't provided any thinking tools. They're just expected to make something up. And when they run out of ideas, the meetings, these brainstorm meetings begin to dwindle as well. The whole idea of the building blocks is to give operators tools to dig in and unmask the problems that they encounter every day that they don't even call problems because they are so habitual. They call it busy, or they call it struggle. Now, I feel pretty strongly about this. And then with this cycle, you just do it again iteratively. This is not methodology. This is conceptual. But this is a way of putting the eight building blocks together. Using the knowledge you just learned is exactly how you can begin to take the struggle out of work and begin to populate the work environment with dozens, even hundreds of visual devices and mini systems. Add this to the methodology that you are about to learn and you will create an enterprise of splendid visual functionality, self-ordering, self-explaining, self-regulating, and self-improving where what is supposed to happen does happen on time, every time, day or night because of visual devices. Okay? There's one final piece here at the end of Chapter 2. It's about the visual examples in this book. And I mentioned this several shows ago when we were in the introduction. 
If you have already read any of my other books, you will know that some of the photographic examples in this book are the same as I use in others, other of my books. This is not because we do not have enough photographs to offer new ones. In fact, we have over 72,000 photographs of visual solutions in our database. We use some of the same ones because of the depth of visual information they contain and the core visual concepts and principles they reflect. I call such high-level solutions teaching examples. The mere act of seeing and studying them reveals many layers of application, from their operational impact to their power to reorient the work culture towards greater precision, alignment, tolerance, and profit. Please bear in mind, please bear this in mind as you see the repeats. Also, although the majority of the examples in this book's are, book are from manufacturing, the visual workplace is a universal workplace, whatever the setting. Bank, hospital, open pit mine, military depot, automotive manufacturing, Visuality is a universal language. There is no company or person that visual information sharing cannot help and support because it is first and foremost a language. So you move through the pages. As you move through the pages, examine the principles and concepts in the many visual solutions from the point of view of your workplace and look for applications that will help your work. We end with a quote from Henry David Thoreau, And it is, things do not change, we change. That's the row. Things do not change, we change. Thank you for taking time during your busy day to learn more about workplace visuality, the visual workplace, visual thinking. Thank you. These components that I'm sharing with you are fundamental to to all visuality and to all progress in your workplace. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I will see you the next time. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.